Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. So today, we are starting a brand new series on the book of Romans. And we're going to spend 12 weeks walking through the book of Romans. And and yes, it's a long time in one book, but man, I am so excited about this. If there's ever a, a favorite way to preach for me, this is it, to walk just, here's the scripture, let's go through it. I just absolutely love doing this. You have on your seats there, your Romans journal. Now we've never done this before, but this is going to become a thing at Grace Hill. Like I've already, I'm already starting to plan the fall because I just, uh, you may not love this idea, but man, I sure do. So I'm excited about it. And well, I'm the pastor, so um, I get to make that choice. So here's, here's the deal. So we have these Romans journals. And so what is this? This is, this is a, a 12-week guide, essentially, to help encourage you to be in the Word of God. Now, this is slow pace slow pace. And we say this often, when we read the word, we don't read it like a newspaper. We're not trying to just gain facts and information and mark it off of the to-do list, right? But what we're trying to do is allow the word of God to read us and then cause us to then come into alignment with the word and to shape us and to make us who God has called us to be, right? And so in here, and it starts this way, so we'll go and I'll, we'll get through all of this. In the very beginning, it has what soap, Soap Bible study is what we're going to be doing with this. What is soap? Well, there's a little explanation here, but I will walk through this with you so that we have this ground basis understanding, right? right, This ground level understanding as we start this. So scripture would be the S. And so in here, we have laid out the scripture for you. So what are you reading? So, So the scripture is already broken down for you week by week by week by week by week. And you'll see that there is like this week, you're going to read every day. Romans chapter one. And you're thinking, seriously, every day, the same chapter? Yes. Because we're not trying to just rush through this. We could do Romans in 16 days if we were doing a chapter a day. It wouldn't take very long to read through the book in a, even at a slow pace. You'd be like, okay, it's, it's 16 chapters. That's all there is. But we're trying to gain from the word of God, right? We're trying to allow the word to read over us and see what, what is going on. I'll tell you this. My father, who, if you were here last week, spoke last week on um, Bible engagement and being in the Word and the importance and the power of the Word of God, right? And so we believe heavily in the power of the Word of God. He has been in the book of Romans since February of last year, okay? And he is just now starting, I think, like chapter 10. He will hang on one verse for days on end. And I go, that's impressive that you can get that much out of a verse, that you can read it for days on end. That's not where I'm asking you to be. Uh, he's been studying the word for ages because he's old. And so, um, <laughs> uh, but so, so scripture, what are you reading? So that's the first part. So it's real simple. We've done that part for you. The next part is observation. Just the simple, that, that would be like the newspaper-esque reading of the word. Like, what is happening? What are the facts? What's, what's taking place in the world in that time? What are you seeing? What is happening within that portion of Scripture? And, and so you're just observing. And, and so in here, and I'll show you, if, and we'll flip over in a couple of seconds, and I'll show you. And then the, second, the third part would be application. 
How does this pertain to me? Because how many of you know the word of God is alive and active today? Hebrews tells us that and, and that it is still speaking. So the spirit who empowered the authors to write, who, who led the authors to write the word of God is still vibrant and moving today. So as you read, the spirit of God is still active and working through the word to then download to you what is it meaning for you in this moment, in this time. So you may go, man, I've read the same thing four days in a row and I feel like the same thing is written in my application every single day. Well, guess what? That's great news. You know now how to apply the word to your life. You know now how to allow the word to change you and maybe what you need to work on. So then you have prayer. And then this can be as simple as saying, okay, Lord, what I just wrote as my application, I pray that you do that in me. Allow this to be applied in my life today. And you pray that. So you start praying scripture. You say, Lord, I see here that, that Paul said this, 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 and this, and that's me, and I don't want that to be who I am anymore. Or you say, Lord, I'm so thankful for what you've done in my life, because Paul talks about the grace and, and, and the goodness of the Lord and salvation through Christ. So as you read, you say, you know, that is my prayer to the Lord. Just thank you for what you've done in my world. And so you have scripture, observation, application, and prayer. Really simple. And the hope is maybe we start at 10 minutes a day and it, it will grow. And you'll find like, man, I don't have, I need to give 30 minutes a day. Well, so be it. You give time to the word. You spend time in the word. You allow it to, to grow in you and challenge you and change you. Also, we have in here a little introduction to the book of Romans so that you get a little bit of the understanding of what's taking place and what's going on. This is not a full in-depth commentary on the book of Romans. But it is at least a synopsis to help you get started in understanding what is happening. What, what's the state of the world a little bit? Some of those kind of things. So it gives you uh, some understanding as to um, what's happening in here. So you'll see that it's at Jerusalem Council when that was at. So we'll talk a little bit more about kind of what's going on and when this was written here in just a moment. And so then you turn the page and you have week one and you have Sunday notes. That is today. And so as we read through this, there is a space for you in this journal. So our, our hope is this, that you bring this back with you next week. And when you bring it back next week, we'll do chapter two. We'll go through the next part of Romans. And so there's space there for notes there. But you'll also see that we have uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday on the flip side of that. And there is a small portion in here so that you can journal and kind of write down what is the Lord saying? What are you seeing in your observation, your application, and your prayer? Now, there's not a lengthy amount of space here for you to be able to just go on and on and on. And if you feel the need to write more, great. I would challenge you to get a secondary journal with a lined journal that you could buy at, at any bookstore or anything of that nature and let that be kind of a companion journal to what you're doing through this. Let this kind of guide you and then use that for more space as needed. And you may go, you know what? This is perfect for me. I don't have a lot to say. I I, I'm short to the point or whatever. That's not me. I'll just tell you that right now. That's not the way I operate. And so I would, <laughs> you're a, I know, right? So that's good. Uh, so but you can write through here, and this helps to lead you and guide you. One, one thing I would say is maybe you want to break each portion into smaller sections on your own. You go, you know what? Today, I'm going to read eight verses. Great. Here you go. I'm going to read five verses, six verses as I walk through this chapter. So be it. That's fine. That's perfectly good. The hope and the challenge is, though, that we're not just rushing through and reading the word as quickly as possible, but that we're taking our time and we're allowing the word to wash over us and challenge us and change us and create in us the men and women that God has called us to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. So with that being said, let's go ahead then with chapter one of Romans. And now I will tell you this up front. Paul does not take any time off as he walks through this, so to speak. Uh, he does not 
soften any blows in his words. He doesn't try to tiptoe or tap dance around different things within this. And so we're going to read the word as the word. Is that fair? Are you all good with that? And we're going to study the word as the word. I think that's a pretty good way to do it. Um, in, in understanding this, that scripture is the authority, okay? So as we go through this, we need to understand this. And, and, and this is the best way to, to set this up. Scripture is not a secondary source or something to be a companion in helping make decisions. Scripture is the final authority. So the hope is that we're creating a biblical worldview and that we're creating in us men and women of God who understand that the word of God is authoritative, that it is the supreme authority on all things. It is the word of God. So you go, I never hear from the Lord. Guess what? You can open the Bible and read and you're hearing from the Lord because it is his word. And so we don't use the scripture as a secondary guide that go, well, let me consult with the word of God and, and, and then weigh that with my own thinking and understanding. No, 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 no. The word of God in, in, in the way it should be, the way it's intended is that the word of God is the authoritative text. And so as we read and we walk through our, our soap Bible study, we have that understanding. So let's look Romans. So the book of Romans is authored by Paul. So Paul, who, who was Saul, and we'll go through some of that, is the author of the book of Romans. And this was sent to, uh, there's a lot of different thoughts. It was possibly a circular letter that was intended to bounce from several churches and, and move from, from, from church to church to church. Or possibly it was written by, he wrote it as like a script to be written to several churches. And the one that we, we have essentially is the one that was written to Romans. We don't have definitive uh, uh, idea. You know, we don't know that for sure. We don't know that to be factual 100%. But we do know this, that it was written to the church in Rome, which would have been a, a, a think of Rome today, it's a massive city, it's a large city, and it is a, a very uh, a thriving cultural city in the sense that a lot of the world was, was, was basing things off of what was happening in Rome. And so we know that the book was written somewhere between 50 and 54 AD. So, so Paul is, is now, this is a year, several years at this point after the death and the resurrection of Christ. And the church is flourishing, it's growing. And we even find that the church in Rome itself is praised for how great it is, which then brings the question because of some of the things Paul talks about, and I apologize if I'm moving very quickly right now, but, but just, just stay with me. It brings the question up, why then did Paul write the book. If the church of Rome is doing so great and that it is being praised by all the other churches around and that its exploits are being talked about and mentioned amongst other people, if it's doing so wonderful, then why did Paul feel the need to write the book of Romans? Because the book of Romans is the most complete theological explanation of the gospel that Paul ever wrote. So it brings the question of why on earth did Paul write this book? And I would say this, that we talked about how the spirit led the authors to write. So I would say that it was spirit led and that Paul was being obedient in the scripture. I would say this, and we were going to read about it in just a moment, that, that Paul has this burning desire in him. And you see it over and over and over uh, in his scripture, a burning desire to preach the word. He has such a deep desire to preach the gospel, to share the gospel, to share Jesus with his audience everywhere he goes all the time, right? He has this desire for the word of God to be prevalent. And so part of me goes, I don't know that Paul could write anything without the gospel coming forward because it's burning in him, right? It's like this thing that he's like, man, I have to get this out. I have to, whenever I can, however I can. And so even in his letters, he's like, that's it. I'm just gonna start writing it, right? And so we here, here we have for us today, we would say that the purpose of Romans was to give us this incredibly uh, 
deep theological explanation of the gospel. And so we're going to walk through this over the next 12 weeks, and, and, and we'll have to squeeze in some parts, uh, other parts we get to take a little more liberty with and, and, and spend a little more time and dive a little deeper. And today we get to dive a little bit deeper into the word. So here's what I know, uh, is that uh, some of what Paul has written in here is difficult to understand. Some of what Paul has written in here has stirred controversy even within the church. And I say controversy, I, I just mean differing opinions and ideas and understanding of the doctrine or the theology of it. Even Peter himself uh, wrote in Second Peter 3, verse 15 and 16, he says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He says this, he writes the same way in all his letters. Like I said, he always has to write the gospel. It's in everything. Speaking in them of these matters, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. We're talking about Peter, right? This is Peter. He was with Jesus and he's going, Paul writes over our heads sometimes. He says this, he says the hard to which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So all that to say this, we understand there are some difficult things to grasp and understand in the book of Romans. And we're going to do our best to walk through those things. And I would say this, uh, you may go, you know what? I interpret that differently. Awesome. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's have that conversation. I don't want to ever get up here and preach as if I am the definitive answer on the word of God and on scripture. I am open to communicate and have conversations. I'll give you my understanding why I believe the way I do and understand things the way I do. I'll even give you uh, commentaries and sources that I've used if you want to have those conversations. I don't feel that it should ever be a reason to divide the house. Fair? Okay. Just want to make sure we lay groundwork as we, as we begin to walk through the word. And I, and I want that to be the case for anything we preach on or teach on, right? That we can have conversations because as the body of Christ, we should be a body of love. And, and, and unified in the house. And so we're going to walk through this. So, so Paul, in this first chapter, we kind of have three different sections that we're going to walk through. We have his greeting, where he greets the Roman church, and then he's going to talk about his longing to visit. And then we're going to talk through sinful humanity. So uh, Paul doesn't exactly end this chapter on an upswing of, of like grace and mercy and salvation. We're going to walk through this today. It's going to be a lot of fun today. So the first thing is this. Uh, is his greeting. And the things you have to understand is that we can find depth and truth in any part of Scripture. And the more you read the Word and the more you understand and grasp the Word is that there will be other parts of the Word that you go, man, I, there's, there's life even in this part. Even you will find, as you study the Word and get into the Word, even like the genealogy of Jesus, you go, wow, there's some incredibly remarkable truth and depth in the genealogy as you study that and understand who were these people and, 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 and what part did they play? What role did they play? What, how are they connected in all of this? And we find, so even in Paul's greeting, as he is just saying, uh, just welcome, you know, essentially just saying hello in the first part, there's some incredible truths here. So let's start with Romans chapter one, verse one through seven. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed to the son of God and power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That right there is a pretty remarkably profound theological statement. In verse five, it says, through him, we have received grace and apostleship 
to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So in that, we read the greeting and we say, okay, wow, that's a pretty remarkable way to say hello. It's like, it was pretty awesome, right? You're like, wow, man, I, hello. I just... You were like, man, it's so good. So, so what we see here, though, is that, that Paul didn't want to just simply state, hi, this is Paul writing to you from Corinth, which is the believed location of his writing. Like, he was in Corinth when he wrote this. He's like, no, 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 no. He's going, listen, there's just too much goodness from the grace of God, from the mercy of God that is in me to leave it simply as, how are you? How are you doing today? Hi, this is Paul. How's the church in Rome? Right, right. No, no, no. He's like, wanting to make sure that there is some understanding right off the bat of the depth of the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. He makes a statement. He says, he says, through the Holy Spirit appointed the Son of God. So what we see here in the very beginning is he's talking about the, the, the fact that Jesus was the Son of Man. So we see him not just, not just greeting them, but even just definitively laying down a theological understanding of who Jesus was. He says, he says, descendant of David. That is just showing the fact that he was the son of man, the one that was promised in the Old Testament, the Messiah to come would be a descendant of David. He said, and then beyond that, he shows that he's the son of God by the power of his resurrection, that he's not just the son of man. He's not just this, this guy that was born of an earthly mother, but beyond that, he is the son of God on high. And he showed that to us by his resurrection. This is more than just a a simple greeting. It's the understanding, know who Jesus is. Know that this is the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's not just a mere man, but he is the Son of God, and he demonstrated his power through his resurrection. And then I love that, that verse five, and it says, through him we received grace and apostleship to the call, to call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And it says, and you are also among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Christ. Why is this so profound? Why is this so important? Because it's this, first and foremost, we should be excited about verse five to begin with right off the bat. And it needed to be stated up front because Paul's gonna get heavy in just a moment. And so he says right up front, he, it's through him we receive grace. That right there should be enough to send us home excited and and just pumped up and encouraged by the word of God today. Like, man, through Jesus, the son of God, this man who didn't just come from an earthly mother, but was the very uh, essence of God on earth. He is God and that he demonstrates his power through this man who resurrected, defeating sin, defeating death and overcoming and conquering the enemy. Through him, he gives us grace. And Paul's saying, grasp this right up front, right off the bat, understand who Jesus is and understand that through him, we have grace. And that right there should be enough to help us to get excited and to get up in the morning. You know what? Today, like yesterday, I have grace and I'm walking in the grace of Jesus. And I get to, to go with Jesus in this grace today. It's an incredible moment. It's an incredible thing. But then he says this, he says that we receive grace and apostleship. And apostleship is is remarkable, too, because it is a calling. And he's saying we're all called. 
We're all called to this apostleship. He says, I've called to be an apostle to reach the Gentiles, to help them to walk in obedience for his name's sake, not for our name's sake, not for Paul's name's sake, not for, not for the, the glory and the comfort of the, those that receive. He says, and you are those Gentiles who are called to glorify the Lord, right? And he says, you are called now to be his holy people. What does that mean? When he says all this, he says, listen, the obedient side of it is so that the name of Jesus would be lifted high. So that the name of Jesus would be exalted. And in our world, in our, our American theology, we believe that God's goal and aim is our peace and our happiness and our comfort and our blessedness. And that could not be further from the truth. God loves us. Hear me. Don't, don't misinterpret my words. God loves us, but we are not the point. And I will, I will say this over and over and over and over. So you're going to hear that a lot as we go through the book of Romans. We're not the point. The point is the Lord. The point is that God would be glorified. So right up front, he says, we're called to lead them into obedience. And what does he mean by obedience? He means obedience of the word, obedience of, of, of righteousness. And we'll get to some of that in a moment. And he says, but it's so that his name would be glorified. All of this is for his name's sake, not for our own. Not so that Paul would be glorified and not so that, that Peter would be glorified or that, or that any other of the other apostles in that time. Not, it wasn't about them being glorified and exalted. It was all so that the name of Jesus would be glorified, all for his name's sake. And I said, this is why we're called. And if we ever believe that we're called so that God can make us great, then we've missed it completely. We've misinterpreted, we've misunderstood, and we've distorted and perverted the calling that God has placed on all of us. Because the reality is, he said, and you are called, right? Because we're Gentiles, right? I mean, you may have Jewish descent, and so then therefore, I guess you're not. But nonetheless, he says, we're called to be his holy people. And in that, there is a calling in that. There's a calling in that. The Spirit draws us, right? He draws us to you. So we have to remember that as Christians, the way we live either glorifies God or diminishes the name of Jesus. Have you ever been watching the news or whatever, and there's some sports team, and their fans have done something absolutely crazy, and like they've like hijacked a f- car of another fan, like the fan of the other team? It usually happens with the Raiders, like the Oakland Raiders. You see their fans, right? These people are crazy, right? So uh, it, you know what I mean? So you go, and you see that, and all of a sudden, what happens, though, you go... Literally, I just did it right just then. All of a sudden, your perception of all Oakland Raider fans is now tainted and, and distorted. And you go, every Raiders fan is probably three seconds away from, from mugging somebody right now, right? Because it, you get this tainted perspective and this view and this understanding because of one person's actions, right? Like we automatically, you say Philadelphia Eagles, and you go, they are the worst fans on the planet. And there may be some genuinely good people and maybe, but yeah. I'm glad I'm with like, you know, good company. But, but you see, because of one person's actions, right? What happens? Our view and our perception of the fan base as a whole is tainted, right? It's distorted. And, and it happens over and over and over and over again. We could go and stereotype every football organization in the world right now. And we're not going to do that. But, but the same thing happens in the church. Have you ever been watching the news and, and something happens and there's something breaks out or whatever and a church responds with good intentions in a really bad way? And you go, man, yes, they're standing up for righteousness, but the way they're doing it feels like hatred. 
And you're like, oh, this, there's a better way to do that. You know, and, you, and you look at it, and all of a sudden you're going, man, the church as a whole just received this black eye, so to speak, that people are watching it and going, oh, the church hates people. And it's like, no, we don't. We don't hate people, right? And it's the same thing. So we see that. So our actions as individuals, as believers, as followers of Christ, the, the way we live can either glorify the name of Jesus and edify the name of Jesus, because yes, we can stand for righteousness in love, right? We can stand for the word of God in love and, 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 and it, we need to, we need to show it that way and we need to, we need to stand for righteousness. But then we could also do it in a way that negatively affects the name of Jesus or we can live a life contrary to righteousness and in turn negatively affect the name of Jesus. And so all of this, the way we live in obedience and walking in this obedience is all for his name's sake. It's not about us. It's not about bringing glory to ourselves, even though the world says, get yours while you can. But that's not, that is not what God has called us to do. That is not the life God has called us to live. He says, no, walk in obedience with me. Walk in obedience to the word. Walk in obedience to scripture. And he says, all of that will glorify my name. And the hope is not that we receive a reward here, but that we receive our reward in heaven. So then, moving along, because... Uh, I want to get to the later part. So second thing is this, his longing to visit. In Romans, uh, we'll go 1, 8 through 10. It says, first, first and foremost, right off the bat, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. So like I said, the Roman church is being praised all over the world. Like, man, the Roman church is doing incredible things. And he says, God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. He says, and I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. So here's what we see here. Is that Paul, first and foremost, is, is saying, listen, I love you. I, I want you to know how much I love you. He doesn't necessarily say, like, oh, first of all, I, I need to let you know. I love, no, but he's saying, I, mean, I long to be with you. I, I, I want to come and see you. I'm so thankful for you. I want to be where you. Here's what we know. True love desires proximity. True love desires proximity. And so what, what we see is when you love someone, your desire and your hope is not to be separated from them for, for a very long time, Right? If, if, so Lauren and I, we love each other. We're married and we, we love each other. So I don't ever have a desire to go weeks on end away from her. No, I like to be where she is. And I say the statement all the time that if Lauren ever leaves me, I'm going with her. So it's just this understanding that true love, some of you are just catching that, which is really great. And I appreciate it. It's just, I love the delayed response. The reality is that because of my love for her, I want to be near her. I like hanging out with her, even if, if it's things that I don't like doing. Well, she doesn't do a lot of things I don't like doing. That's to be real. So I don't mind shopping. There's a, just is what it is. But it's like true love desires proximity. It wants to be close to each other. So Paul is saying, listen, I am thankful for you. And he said, and I desire to be with you. And I haven't been able to come. And I'm praying, oh God, make a way for me to go and see them there in Rome. He's like, I, I want to be with them. I want to be where they are. And so we see that. So Paul is, what is here's what we're understanding is this. Paul understands an important, important philosophy and thought process, and it's, it's, it's going to sound like a cliche Twitter quote, and it probably is. But people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Because what Paul's about to do is walk through some heavy, heavy understanding of humanity. 
and, and talk about how sinful people really are. And he's like, but I want you to know right up front, I love you dearly and I care for you. And because I love you and because I care for you, I want to explain all of this so that as you preach and as you teach and as you carry it forward in the Roman church, that you're teaching it correctly and you're teaching it right and that, and that you understand the magnitude of what's being said. And he says, I, I love you. I love you dearly. And I don't have it on the screen, but I want to look at verse 11 real quick. And he says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. And I almost wonder in his longing, in his desire to be there, if that's, that's where he's like, I want to impart to you a spiritual gift. And he goes on to say that so that, that we can be mutually encouraged by our faith. And stuff. So I wonder if this is almost that part of where Paul's like, forget it, I'm just going to write it anyways. And that's where we start to get this thing. He's like, oh, I have so much I want to give to you, so much I want to share, so much I want to say. And it's this longing and this desire. Verse 14, he says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel. And I love that he uses the word obligated. The Greek word for, for obligated is ophialetes. And it means one who is in debt, one liable for. Think about that for a minute. It's, it's more than just the way we use obligation, like, oh, I have to be there. Like, I'm obligated. No, no, Paul is using a term that in the Greek it basically is a statement of, I am indebted to humanity to preach the gospel. There is this depth of desire to preach the word. What can we learn from Paul there? That we're all called, right? This, we, we are all called to be God's holy people. And in that comes the calling to preach the gospel. And what does Jesus tell us? He says, go into all the world and, and preach the gospel. He says, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see that Jesus mandates us to go and to preach the word. And Paul in this moment is saying, I'm obligated. I am forever in debt to Greeks and non-Greeks. He says to everybody. I'm indebted to humanity to preach the gospel. The word of God has to go forth. The word of God has to go forth. And it's not just a, this is my job, I need to do it. But for, for, for Paul, it's much greater than just, hey, this is what I do. It is a sense of as a follower of Christ, as a follower of Jesus, this is who I am. And I cannot separate the two. I'm obligated. I'm in debt to humanity to preach the gospel. And then he sums up this section in, in, in really kind of an understanding, almost like, a, like this is his statement of the rest of the book of Romans. And it, not completely, but, but it's a pretty, pretty big deal. In verse 17, he says, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. The righteousness of God can only become ours through faith. When we receive Christ, it says we take on the righteousness of Christ, right? And so it says we'll stand in, in the throne room of heaven clothed in his righteousness, right? And so, so we see that the righteousness can only be ours through faith. Righteousness and faith can't be separated, when you place your faith in the Lord, when you place your faith in Christ, all of a sudden the righteousness comes with that, right? That's, that is a, it is a, a, a package deal. 
to be righteous, you must live by faith. Those who live by faith are righteous. It's just kind of this back and forth, both and thing. If we believe we are living in the righteousness of God, but are not living by faith, we deceive ourselves. That's a pretty strong statement. I understand that. But if we believe we're living by righteousness, but we're not living by faith, we're only deceiving ourselves. It's because the righteousness comes by faith. The pure, holy, right heart of God and his loving wisdom comes to light in the radiance of the gospel. The gospel makes sense of the Old Testament and the New. It shows why there is pain and death, hate and evil. It is all revealed by the light of the gospel. It is the gospel. The gospel is the key that unlocks the meaning of life and discloses that God is all he says he is. So when we take on the righteousness, when we take on faith, when we step out and live in faith, we are then clothed and clothed in the righteousness of God. When we exercise our faith, we, we grow in our righteousness. As we believe and put our weight on it, he reveals even more for us to trust in. And until you trust in what you have heard, why should he reveal anymore? And this understanding that we place our full trust in the Lord and as we hear the word, as we receive the word, as we walk through the word, and as we go through Romans, my prayer is this, that as we fully trust in him, as we fully place all of our trust in the word and what, what Paul is writing in Romans, that the Lord just begins to reveal himself more and more and more and more to us. For some of you today, that may be where you are before we move on. For some of you, you go, you know what? That, that's me right there. I'm struggling with this balance between faith and righteousness and going, okay, if I fully live by faith, I take on the righteousness of God. Yeah, that's what it is. When you fully surrender to the Lord and you say, Lord, I place my faith in you, my complete trust in all that I am, I place in you. And then you step out in righteousness. So it's that step where you go, because of my faith in Christ, I want to walk in the righteousness of Jesus. And you go, okay, if, I, if I'm trying to do it on my own all the time, if you find yourself failing over and over and over, step back for a moment. And you go, God, let me re-examine. Let me, let me start again, in a sense, and just say, I put my faith in you. Let me, let me just start fresh. And just go, Lord, let me receive, let me be clothed in your righteousness. Just start fresh, just start again. And then the third thing that Paul discusses in Romans chapter 1 is God's wrath against sin. Wrath is a word that we don't use too often in our culture anymore. People don't like the idea of wrath. They don't like to wrestle with the fact that God's wrath is a real thing. And so understand that God's wrath is real. And so we don't like to discuss it and talk about it because it makes people uncomfortable because it forces people to have to examine how they live. It forces people to have to make changes and this and that, right? So people oftentimes don't like the idea of the wrath of God. And so when you start talking about it, people are like, easy there, easy does it, because God is love. Yes, God is love. 100% God is love, and all good things come from God, right? And we were, First John will tell us, the very simple statement, three, three words, God is love, right? That, that is the fact and the reality of who God is. But out of that love, like a good father, he knows that there has to be correction, and he knows that there has to be things brought into alignment so that so that we then walk in the righteousness, right? And this all goes back to obedience for his name's sake. 
And so the wrath of God is in fact real. And so we, we, we see that uh, in Romans 1, we're going to read 18 through 23 real fast. And it says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. This is why Paul started with, I need to let you know how much I love you. Because huh. I want to make sure that you're teaching correctly. And we know that the Roman church is great. It says that. It says you're doing incredible things. But Paul's going, I want to make sure that you are teaching correctly and that you have a full grasp and understanding of why Jesus did what he did. Why did he have to come? And it starts with this statement. People thought they were wise and they were fools. They ignored the glory of the immortal God and exchanged it for images made to look like mortal man and birds and reptiles. You want to talk about a, a, a disgrace and a complete affront to who God is? Exchange the glory of God for a man-made cheap imitation of some idol creation. You want to, you want to stir the wrath of God? Take all that he is and throw it back at him and say, I want nothing to do with who you are. So you may be this, this, this glorious God, this glorious being, this all creative being. So it even says that, that his invisible qualities were on full display. Think about that. Like you can see his invisible qualities. Who else can you say that about? First of all, we'll do a whole apologetics thing at some point in time, improving the existence of God and all this kind of stuff. It'll be a lot of fun. But right now, just a real simple statement. The simple fact that you can view creation and understand that even science cannot come up with a full explanation of creation and understand that God's invisible qualities, his abilities, are, are, are his omnipotence, his incredible power, and his ability to create with his word is on full display for all to see so that there was no excuse. No excuse. And so if you want to stir the wrath of God, reject his glory and pick up a cheap imitation. Try to create your own God and see how that works out for you. But we've seen this generation after generation after generation, that it's not just in this time period when people were creating religion in order to glorify a man or a being or of some image of some sort, right? We do, it still happens today, just maybe not so much in the same form of a sculpture or a wood carving of some sort, but we see it to where the religion is developed and designed to glorify a man, you want to anger God, develop and create a religion designed to glorify a man. It stirs his wrath. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. 
but in their, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. He's saying, listen, you can be aware of who God is. You can know about God. You can know who God is. Oh yeah, that is, that's God. That is Yahweh, whatever. You can know that, but that does not mean simply by your knowing that you are walking in righteousness. Knowledge and faith are separate. They can work hand in hand, but they are not one and the same. Just because you have knowledge of who God is does not mean that you have placed your faith in him. That does not mean that you have decided to walk in the righteousness of Christ. They are separate things. And so he's saying, because of this, they, they, they thought they were wise, right? And their foolishness was on full display. And through this, the Lord said, fine, I'm going to let you go. And I'm going to let your hearts be darkened. Have you ever walked in a place where you just knew that evil was rampant and you walk in and you go, whoa, this feels different. This feels different. I remember one time we were, and I'm not going to say the place or whatnot, but we were with my brother-in-law and he said, I want y'all to walk down the street with us real fast. And he said, I want you to feel the sin in this place. And you could feel it. You talk about a place where their hearts had been darkened, where, where they had exchanged the glory of God in, 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 in return for an, Im, you know, an immortal figure or a mortal figure that, that, that had been created, right? They had neglected the gospel. They had neglected the truth about God and decided we were going to follow after our own ways and our own desires. And you could feel the heaviness of the sin. And God says in that moment, if that is what you want, I'm going to let you go. That's a scary place to be. It's a scary place to be. Knowing God is futile if you do not glorify him and give him thanks. If you lose reverence for him and no longer stand in awe of him, if you do not fear him and respect him, your thinking about him and your knowledge about him will be of no advantage to you. Because it's not just about knowing who God is but it's about desperately striving to glorify him, to give thanks to him, to honor him. I'm watching my time. I'll make this statement. Be careful because when a society of fools calls you wise, it only makes you the hero of a foolish endeavor. To be called a fool by the world may be the highest compliment they can give us. They may view us as foolish for, for pursuing an invisible God. So be it. So be it. How often does human religion change? Outside of the gospel, right? We have, we have the pure gospel and understanding of who Jesus is. How often do we see religion, even under the cloak of Christianity? Let me make that statement. Even under the cloak and disguise of Christianity, how often does it change to fit and conform to the patterns of this world? And that's what we're seeing here. This is what Paul's writing about. He's saying, listen, they have, their foolishness is on full display because they're, they're trying to just be pleasing to all those around they're trying to simply satisfy an itching ear, so to speak, right? And he's saying, how often, he, he, this happens over and over and over. And so the Lord gives them over to this darkened heart. And then Paul goes down a road that I'm going to walk through carefully 
but you need to know my heart and understand that I speak this morning out of a love for all people, out of a love for the lost, out of a love for those in this church that know Jesus, and out of a desire to see all of us grow in our relationship with the Lord and understanding of who God is and who he has called us to be. So I want that stated up front. But because of humanity's perversion of religion and worship and their selfish desires, God gives them over to their sinful desires. But you have to understand this. He says he gives them over to it. That doesn't mean he removes the penalty from it. That needs to be clearly stated. That just because God releases someone and says, fine, be be released and handed over to your sinful desires. That does not mean that God in that moment says, okay, from that person we remove all penalty in, in, in all, and in, in death is no longer a, an issue. This is that, no, there is still a penalty for sin, even if God releases him to it. He says, fine, I've, I've been here, I've been prevalent, I've been available to you, and you have rejected me. He says, you go with it, run with it. I'm gonna read verse 26 and 27. It says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in them the due penalty for their error. Here we see that God gave them over to their shameful lusts or sexual passions. Sexual sins are outlined and dealt with within the Ten Commandments and the law of Israel. As you read through the laws, you'll see so many different rules that were regarding to and pertaining to uh, sexual sin. And the rules that help us to know how to keep the gift functioning as a blessing. Sex is a gift from God that when used within the parameters of Scripture is of great benefit It is a private and intimate pleasure designed to be shared between a rightfully married man and woman. It is the only way to procreate and reproduce offspring and fill the earth as God commanded. However, when that desire is allowed to find expression outside a holy marriage, it is sin. When sexual pleasure is the goal, no matter how or with who, it becomes shameful. Adam and Eve... When you think about Adam and Eve, all of a sudden, when, they, when sin enters, what happens? Their nakedness is revealed to them, and they are ashamed. They're shame because they hadn't been let go and released into the depravity of their mind in that moment, right? There, there is shame because there is still the understanding of who God is in that moment. They realize they are naked. Those who have been turned over to their sin flaunt their sexual sin and nakedness as a right. They may not be ashamed of themselves, but God is. And I know this may seem heavy and harsh, but understand this comes from a statement of love because I want people to know Jesus. And I'm not going to shy away from the word. But sex in any form outside of the way God created it and intended it to be is sin. And that's why verse 27 says they received the due penalty. But he didn't stop there because you have to understand that is not the only form of sin in this world, right? Sexual sin is not the only form of sin that we face. 
And so as he goes through, he says, listen, he, he talks about how, how they, they were just full of wickedness and that they, were, that they were full of murder and strife and deceit and malice and gossip and slander, God-hating, arrogance and boasting. The word depraved, he says, he gave them over to a depraved mind. The word there means failed or unworthy. So he says, God gave them over to failed thinking in an unworthy mind. So, so not only did they have perverted sexual intimacy, but the entire way of thinking was wrong. These, he said these people invent ways of doing evil. And then the last verse today, I think, describes our nation to a T. Romans 1.32, it says, Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. The depraved sinner is winning in American society. <laughs> but we're not fooled. We're connected to the word of truth. Our allegiance is to the kingdom of God, not to the American society. Here's what I know. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And his grace is sufficient. I know Paul kind of leaves it there at the end. Of this. Now, mind you, we have to understand that when Paul wrote this, he wrote this as a continual letter. He wasn't writing chapters and verses. We added those later for reference pur- purposes. But when he writes this, it is a continual flow in thought. As he's gonna, we're going to unpack all of this and walk through this. Paul's purpose and aim in this beginning was to explain the depravity and the sinful nature of humanity. But we know where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And his grace is sufficient. Understand that everything I talked about today and the heaviness of all of this and and the things that we discussed and things that we talked was simply because we're working through scripture. We're gonna walk through it. But understand all of that, all of that sin, anything we talked about today, all of it is forgiven through grace. When we call on the name of the Lord, there's nothing that the Lord is going to go, all but that, I'm sorry, you have to move to the side. You missed out because you did that. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. God's grace is sufficient. I'll invite the worship team. Next week, we get to go through chapter two and we get to talk about how God's kindness leads us to repentance. And it becomes a, it's a, it's a little more encouraging of a chapter. But we also uh, get to talk about how we could be storing up wrath against ourselves. So that's good as well. This morning, I know I didn't give a, a full gospel message, and I really just talked about how, how sinful humanity is. And that's, 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 that's the nature of human, human beings, right? Is that, that we are inherently selfish, and in turn, we are inherently evil, right? And so naturally, our desires are to do what, what satisfies the flesh, and that is our natural human side, right? 
Our desire is to naturally do what is going to, to help us to feel good about us or to, to please us. And so in the statement that, that when, when sexual intimacy becomes about pleasure and it's no longer as an act of intimacy between a man and a woman who love each other, right? All of a sudden, uh, under, under marriage, all of a sudden it has become a selfish thing because now it's about pleasing. What is pleasing to me? So we talk through that. And and the purpose of all of that is to explain to us that that we are depraved and we are in in, in desperate need of a savior. And that's the reality of it. And that's why I say, oh, but man, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.